0: know if you're getting better if my ears are getting more seasoned (laughs) like fine wine they're just enjoying it more good morning everybody again welcome to Genesis Gathering I'm Jeff I'm going to facilitate conversation this morning I had an experience this week that's led me to what I want to share with you and again I'll move through it as quickly as I can there's an awful lot of material and uh, I hope to have some time for Q&A as well I was listening to a radio broadcast. The guest was applauded for being a, quote, truth seeker. But then I began to question, well, what is a truth seeker? So here's how the broadcast went. And I have the actual script of what was being said. So I'm not just going from memory, Okay, This is the script of that radio broadcast. (coughs) Dr. Rosario. One of the things that I did learn is that sexuality, let me back up and say and issue the background to the story is that Dr. Rosario was a professor, still is a professor, she was teaching in a college and she was amongst her studies teaching queer theory. She herself was a committed lesbian. She also um, had a lifelong history of making fun of organizations and Christians in particular who were not LGBTQIA plus friendly. So that's the backstory. She has since converted. She's doing a interview with Focus on the Family. Now, quote, one of the things that I did learn is that sexuality in the in the safe, and the God-covered protection of biblical marriage is something that I had never experienced before. See, and that's why we need to get away from these terms, heterosexual and homosexual, because homosexuality is not a behavior to be modified. It's a sin to be mortified. And then what happens after that is up to you. Now, I'll give you a little bit more backstory. I don't listen to Christian radio. Just doesn't interest me, I'm sorry. I usually have on a bit of news, the FM comedy station, or I'm listening to teaching from my phone. But this day, and it was this past week, I was in the car and I just decided to flip over to the radio station And I catch the introduction of this broadcast interviewing Dr. Rosario. So that was the chance, that that I would even know who she is, I've never heard of her before, or hear her comments. But when she said that, I had to sit up, spiritually, because of what follows. Now, there's plenty of people who are on both sides of the LGBTQ and people who on both sides of that have, quote, converted or come out of it, once were, but now have changed, so on and so forth. So that wasn't especially unique. But she was very poignant in her belief that, quote, because homosexuality is not a behavior to be modified. It's a sin to be mortified. Now, I disagree with her but that conversation would not be unusual. Here's what the host followed with. Rosario is truly one of my heroes in the faith because she is a truth seeker. Even when she was far from God and had no interest in Christianity or the Bible, she had a passion for discovering truth and it changed her life. As, as we heard last time when Rosario Uh, a tenured professor at Syracuse University teaching women's studies and queer theory. At that time, and that was part one, I was listening to part two. Back in the mid to late 1900s, or 1900s, Rosario was a lesbian, and a feminist, and an outspoken critic of of religious organizations. Now, define truth seeker. She's being heralded, at least by this individual, the host, and this organization as a truth seeker. And what is part of her truth? That homosexuality is not a behavior to be modified, but it is a sin to be mortified. And then if you do the hard work, you'll stay free of it. That's her position on this. That's what she meant by, and then what happens afterward is up to you. Now, again, I disagree with that and her position on that subject. However, it's so much more than that if we're going to say Rosario is a truth seeker. Whose truth? What truth? What's the basis of her truth? Truth isn't found in your embrace of a particular theological interpretation approved by your denomination or religious group, which is clearly the position here. You're not a truth seeker because you carry or embrace the denominational line of your denomination or your tribe. I want to show you what is perhaps one of the most famous movie clips of all time. All right?
1: Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did, did you order the code red? You're damn right I did.
0: <laughs> Your blank damn idea, right? Oh, no. <laughs> What do I do now? He just admitted it, right? You can't handle the
2: truth.
0: (laughs) Oh, what a line. And I feel like maybe Holy Spirit is saying that to us sometimes. You can't handle the truth. It would be so radically different than what you have in your mind. How many of you had an encounter with God before you ever read or opened the Bible? How many of you encountered God, thought about God, thought you experienced God, prayed to God, and you never read the Bible? Didn't even own a Bible. Well, so did Abraham. You're in good company. Abraham came to know God. Didn't, Abraham didn't come to know God by reading the Bible. How about Moses? Moses didn't come to know God by reading the Bible. <laughs> Did Paul come to know God or Jesus by reading a Bible? You know where I'm going, don't you? There was no Bible. There was no Bible collection of books, bound in leather, gathered together, 66 of them, some letters, some poetry, some history, some prophecy, 66 of them gathered together, called the Bible. It didn't exist. And yet all these individuals I've just named had a magnificent relationship with God. Here's my text, John 5, verse 40. You have your heads in your Bibles Constantly. Because you think that you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right in front of you. I want to give you the definition of four words this morning. Because truth does not necessarily come from what we call the Bible, not alone and what people have done, I'm not, listen to me carefully, I did not say the Bible is untrue. I did not say that it's not any longer a source of truth or reliable and trustworthy. I believe it absolutely is. However, I'm going to give you four words this morning that we have used to co-opt what we believe truth is and therefore, since they're all tied to the Bible, how we use the Bible. Would that be okay with you? If we do that, could I give you four words this morning that we have used to co-op what we think truth is and show you then how we think all truth, if it's true, it has to be in the Bible. And if the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. There's so many places I could go with that. The first word is inerrant. Bible inerrancy is this. I'm using the Southern Baptist statement on inerrancy. Quote, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are without error and misstatement in their moral and spiritual teaching and record of historical facts. That's what they believe, and a great many people believe that. However, the belief that the Bible is without error or fault in all of its teaching is inaccurate. And many religious people have uh, specific interpretations of the Bible which includes their beliefs about what the Bible is. And anyone who appears to disagree or differ with their view of the Bible, they're not welcome in those churches. In fact, people often shun people or shame people, guilt people, because those people don't agree with my view of the Bible or my interpretation of the Bible. In fact, certain views about the Bible are seen as litmus tests of faith. Faith in God, faith in Jesus. Let me give you a couple. Penal substitution. The theory that God in his anger and wrath punished Jesus on the cross, made him the substitute for the sin in our lives, and then that through that death and God putting on Jesus his anger and his wrath, then we can be saved. And so in other words, we're saved from a wrathful God by a substitution that Jesus did for us. It's called penal substitution. It's one of seven different theories about atonement. And it is inaccurate. Eternal conscious torment. A place of eternal damnation where the unfaithful or those who do not believe correctly in the proper view of the Bible are going to go and spend eternity. Commonly referred to as hell. Now, that's a view, that's an interpretation of the Bible, that doesn't mean it's truth. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman alone. Now, that's a view, that's an interpretation. But that's not truth. It's true you might infer that from the Bible. But there's many other things in the Bible about relationships between men and women. Or men and men, women and women. I spent five hours yesterday in a class on gender and how God loves. This is not a new subject for me. And I'm not going it alone. Here's another one. The man, or the husband, is the head of his wife and her proper place attitudinally is submission and functionally is to be subservient. Now, that's in the Bible, if you interpret the Bible in a certain light. And then what you do is you say, well, that's in the Bible, so that's true, because the Bible's inerrant, and so you align your life accordingly. You see how this hook? See, if you believe the Bible is inerrant and it is the only standard of truth and that your interpretation of the Bible is correct and inerrant, therefore, then you can say things like homosexuality is a sin and it's to be mortified. The fifth one that only children of God are those who, excuse me, the only children of God are those who have correctly responded to an invitational encounter to change their behavior, receive Jesus as Lord, and comply with a list of accepted Christian behaviors. I don't agree with that, and yet that is some people's view of the Bible. But this is the burden that we place upon Scripture that was never required by God that the Bible is inerrant. Any rational, intellectual, honest reading of the Bible would admit to numerous errors in translation, authorship, factual integrity, and historical correction, correctness. Many, casual reading. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not inspired. That doesn't mean it's not reliable. But it does mean that it's not inerrant. (laughs) Did you know that churches have had different books in their Bibles throughout the ages? Not just the 66 in the Protestant Bible that you and I claim to be the Bible? Let me give you an idea. So the Protestant Bible came about in the 1500s. To be exact, I believe it was 1562 in which it was first printed and made available, the first Christian Bible. So, so what happened for all those years leading up to 1560 when there was no Bible? How did people walk with God? How did anybody come to know Jesus and live and pray and live a blessed life, a holy life, whatever? How, how without a Bible? You do know that the Bible is not like always been. You do know that, that Paul didn't walk around with a King James Bible, right? <laughs> right. Okay? And so that came around the 15th. The Catholic Bible has an additional eight books in it that the Protestants don't have in their Bible. How is that? Then you have the Ethiopian and the Orthodox Bible, which again has some different books in it compared to the Protestant 66 books. Maybe this isn't something to get all bent about, but to celebrate because all of them point to Jesus. Number two, the Bible, let me grab my notes here and be sure I don't get ahead of myself. So I'm giving you four things, not number two, we're not at number two yet. It's say, like, oh man, this is gonna take forever. <laughs> so when talking about the inerrancy of the Bible, one of the reasons we believe that the Bible is errant because we call it the, what? Word of God once you call something the it's in the Bible and the Bible is he believed that their scriptures what we would call largely the Old Testament was the Word of God therefore he thought he had the authority to do what he was doing and then he met Jesus I thank God for Rosario I'm excited that this professor met Jesus But I disagree that she is a truth seeker, that she should be lifted to that or elevated to that when her truth is not necessarily the truth of the Bible or the scriptures that I know anyway. But here's the deal. I know she loves Jesus, and I'm okay with that then. I could have dinner with her. We could invite her into our church and our fellowship, right? Because it just, that's not what's important. Now, I just wouldn't have her teach on homosexuality. (laughs) Right? Hitler believed that he was following God's will in purging society of a defect and a threat. Where'd he get that authority? The scriptures, the Bible. Crusaders believed that they were spreading the gospel and getting rid of the infidels. They believed they had a command from Scripture. Slave traders and owners believed that they were obeying the commands of the New Testament while glorifying the Savior and elevating a lower species of human being. Where'd they get that? The Bible. But it wasn't true, was it? Women must keep silent in the church. Is that in the Bible? You betcha. It's in the Bible. It's just not true in its application as applied by largely Western evangelical Christians. Psalms teaches us to pray for catastrophe on our enemies and to smash the head of babies against a rock. Is that in the scripture? Is it in your Bible? Is it true? Is that God's nature? Is that the nature of Jesus? Where do you find Jesus in those passages? You don't, do you? Is the Bible the word of God? No. Is it inerrant? No. Is it inspired? Yes. Numerous passages in the Old Testament seem to depict God as a wrathful God, executing vengeance and punishment upon his enemies and and sinners through horrific violence, atrocities so brutal that even Hollywood avoids some of them. but the Bible is inspired. It's given to us by God and it's a wonderful thing for us to base faith on and to move about and come to know what we can know through it about God, but it is not inerrant. Number two, another I word, infallible. This is never used in the scripture about the scripture. It's never stated in Scripture that the Scripture is infallible. So, it's never stated in Scripture that it is the Word of God. Jesus is that, and he alone. And it's never stated in Scripture that Scripture is itself infallible. Infallible means incapable of making a mistake. Listen, dear ones, only God is incapable of making a mistake. Only he and the Holy Spirit are infallible. Many evangelicals believe that since the Bible is inspired and God breathed, that makes it perfect because God is perfect. Not so at all. Listen, watch this quote here. Read along with me. This is from Greg Boyd, a theologian uh, and pastor of a church locally here in America. The concept of inerrancy seems more at home in fields of discourse in which getting things exactly right is the highest priority. It feels natural for scientists engaging in a laboratory experiment, or for scholars compiling a lexicon, or for sociologists compiling statistical reports to speak about committing no errors. But while I can imagine a covenant that includes, as part of its terms, the promise to never make an error, this is quite out of place in the real world of covenant making, and especially in the discourse surrounding biblical covenants. In the language of biblical covenants, one promises to place their trust in the trustworthy character of their covenant partner, and one promises to cultivate a trustworthy character in relationship to their covenant partner. This, in fact, is what the Bible concept of faith is all about. So not perfection, not infallibility, not inerrancy, but covenant, out of love. The third I word, right, inspired. Now this is biblical. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16. All Scripture is God breathes and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training In righteousness so we're dealing with four words which have been co-opted by many evangelicals today to say that the Bible is the source of truth and that it is God without error it's speaking so number one inerrant number two infallible and number three inspired again this third one actually is in Scripture It is God breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, but it's not perfect. It's not infallible. Inspired in 2 Timothy 3 here means God has breathed through these books, not dictated. There is a difference between God dictating something and God breathing upon something that's being written. Or transcribed or interpreted or recorded what is his purpose in giving us the Bible his purpose was to grow us in relationship as sons and disciples now the fourth term I'm going to give you this morning that's been co-opted and used to say well if this is your view then you believe the Bible is truth and you are a truth seeker, I call it flat reading, a flat reading of the Bible. Okay? This is a belief that all Scripture should be read literally and with equal value, regardless of the genre, culture, or author's original intent. Genre. Genre, excuse me. Regardless of the genre, regardless of the culture, regardless of the author's intent, regardless, all scripture, it's literal and it has equal value. Now wait a minute. Jesus didn't even treat the scripture that way. Do you remember when he was giving his Sermon on the Mount and he was going through a number of moral issues like marriage, like stealing, like worship, so on and so forth? And he'd say this, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you see what he's doing? Jesus supersedes the authority of the scriptures and brings into question the Bible of his day. You've heard it said, what's he referring to? Old Testament scripture. You've heard it said, but I say to you, in one sentence, one breath. He's superseding the authority of their own scripture, their Bibles, and calling into question the veracity of, quote, the scripture, saying, I supersede that. What I'm about to tell you supersedes that. So see, even Jesus did not believe in a flat reading of scripture. Now, I'm going to go back to our text, but read it from a different translation. You ready? Can you handle the truth? I feel a bit like Tom Cruise here. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they that testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me that you might have eternal life. You do not get eternal life from the scriptures. You do not get eternal life from your Bible. You can come to know a lot about what God, how God is, how God acts, God's love. You can certainly be introduced to God and to Jesus and the disciples and many of the wonderful miracles of Jesus and the early church. All of that is wonderful. There's history, there's poems, there's prophecy, there's all of these things but it is not inerrant, it is not infallible, it is inspired, but you cannot read it with a flat reading. And when you do, you will develop a position regarding it that your interpretation or your church's interpretation is the right one, and so what we embrace makes me a truth seeker, and now I can make statements like, homosexuality is a sin to be mortified. Well, Jeff, if what you're telling us is so, then how can anything be true or reliable about any of the Bible? How can anything be true about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the record of Jesus? Listen to me. When our approach to the Bible is to discover the crucified Christ, God's cruciform love, and our being hidden in him, then it is perfectly natural to speak of Scripture as never failing, even when by certain standards it does. When the Bible says in the New Testament, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, you can bet on that that will never fail when Jesus said come to me all you who are labor and a heavy laden and I'll give you rest you can count on that that's for sure when scripture says even when we are faithful uh, faithless he remains faithful Peter said you can count on that it'll cause you to grow it'll cause you to move closer to him in that sense you can't get closer as I said last week you can't actually get closer to him can I say this regarding this whole thing of theology doctrine scripture inerrancy my relationship is not with a doctrine God so loved the world that he sent a book right God so loved the world that he sent a book. Is that how you think about John 3.16? Help me with it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not a book. We can't twist that around. So I'll end with this. A truth seeker is one who seeks Jesus and incarnationally Jesus is in me, I'm in him, lives with this question, how can I love and affirm others as God and Jesus loves them? That's a truth seeker, in my opinion, in my observation, and in my experience. Well, we do have some time for questions, and so I'm gonna throw it open. Oh, okay. So it's okay. I I have it here, and so we'll we'll go through it here. All right. So uh, let me see. Uh, We get this back stream stop for me. All right. Ralph comments: Women must be quiet in the church. Sometimes it wouldn't be nice if people wouldn't it be nice if people were quiet, but not only women. Yes, Ralph. Linda says, even nowadays, everyone has their own interpretation of what they read in the Bible. That's true. Any quotes, or I mean, excuse me, any questions, anybody? Ralph adds, which is great, Linda, because we are individuals and God is showing us individual things. It is bad when we require others to believe my interpretation. Yeah, so true. Okay, microphone there. And give it just a second after you turn it on, it kind of pauses. It, oh,
3: there it is. Um, so this is a really timely sermon. I, I had an experience, I, I went to visit my dad at his, at his home. And um we were looking for a game to play, and they have a game cabinet there, okay. and there was also a holy Bible and so I said, also, if you want to, you can come and re- come back and read this holy Bible later and there's a woman that works there, she was the game's coordinator or the activities coordinator, and she jumped up and said, "I believe in that Bible, as if i didn't you know." Yeah. And I said, oh, that's nice. And me too. And she said, I believe it has the power to save those that believe. And so right about then, I'd realized I was dealing with a (laughs) a very, very opinionated, uh, spiritual, not spiritual, uh, religious person. And the conversation led to the fact that my dad had written a book on spirituality and she wanted to see the book And so he went back to his room to get the book and I was talking to her and she said, I'm very very discerning about books I know what's right and wrong and I can tell immediately and And I just wasn't really saying much because I don't want to engage with someone who is this arrogant arrogant about their beliefs Um, and she said The Bible says in Revelations that not one word will be added or removed from this Bible, and immediately my mind went to this Bible didn't exist until at least 300 years after Revelations was written, and they decided what went into the book 300 years later. (laughs) And so how can you know what was supposed to be in the book and what wasn't? So anyway, those are things that are going through my head, and Uh, My dad came back and she was talking about how churches these days just want to talk about how God loves you But they don't want to talk about how God is vengeful and how he will destroy your soul This is a person talking to me someone. I don't know at all and so I mean it's just the 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 stark contrast it was like When I think when I when I walked away and thought about it I mean I was kind of I wasn't upset or I wasn't hurt. I was actually I felt a little bad for her but there's a verse about religion being a stench in God's nose. And that's exactly what I felt when I was listening to that.
0: How many of us have experienced something like that when you're sitting with someone, otherwise you'd love to have a conversation, maybe get to know them a little bit, but something comes up and man, they just, they're aggressive and they hit that, sort of a, the only term I know to use is that religious evangelical you know and it's it's almost it's got almost an anger behind it it seems you know and the need to be right the need to believe it like I do boy I heard in your comment there what you were sharing all the talking points all the religious evangelical especially of the west talking points and that I used to throw up myself. Yeah. They were
3: all there. And I, I and I, I was catching that too. It's just like she had she had all of the things memorized that she needed to um to tell you that she's she believes what's right and you're you believe what's wrong. And and one other thing that she she went into is that the time is coming and even it is here now, the birthing pains of the end times and we need to be we need to be vigilant. You know, all of the same things you've heard for your whole life and um just thought it was Amazing.
2: Well, I believe that everybody can have an opinion on what the Bible what they believe the Bible is for them, you know. And like for me, I believe for myself that it it does help me every once in a while to to kind of figure some stuff out, you know when I need need to read it, you know? And, and I know like if someone's like locked up like in, in jail or prison, that may, the Bible may be the only thing they have to give them peace, you know? So I believe that the Bible does have a purpose, you know? And I, I believe that for me myself, I love Jesus, you know? That's the only thing I know, you know? That I love Jesus. And I believe that I do have a calling on my life. Um, and I believe that um, I like to, later on, I want to help people that are felons, you know? Not the ones that are in jail, but the ones that are out of jail, you know? And I believe that's what my calling in life is going to be, but, um, but that's, that's my road, you know? And that's my cross I carry, carry. <clears throat> but I believe that, you know, I believe that, uh, yeah, I know that they may not have had the Bible back, back then, but they, had, they still had God's word back then, you know? It, his word was still spoke to whoever needed to hear it, you know? And so God's word has been with us like forever. You know, and um, I believe that. So I believe it's okay for someone to want to interpret the Bible, like if if it's something that they need to help them with a the crisis. Then I believe it's okay. You know, and uh, I believe that everybody has their choice. You know, whether they want to, where do they want to take it, or where do they want to do with it? You know. You know, Um, I just believe that God is good, you know, and I believe that he loves, he loves everybody, you know, I believe there's no one on this earth that he doesn't love, you know, you know, and I believe that, that he, he died on the cross for everybody, you know, everybody, you know, it's just, it's, that's our, that's, that's his gift to us, you know, we can accept it or we, we, we don't have to accept it. You know, he gives us a choice, you know, he gives us a choice to believe or not to believe, you know. And I believe that if people just, um, just realize that there is a God that loves them and that's for them, that, uh, this world would be a better place. Jim, where did
0: all of that come from? Wow. come on brother that's awesome you know the Bible has been responsible for supernaturally God has used it and supernaturally changed so many hundreds of thousands of people upon hearing it maybe in a crusade maybe in your hotel room you open that drawer and you look inside and there's the Gideon Bible And you start reading, and you're away from God, and you're not pursuing God, you're antagonistic to God. And there's those words God breathed, God inspired, and the Holy Spirit makes it alive. James is exactly right. The Holy Spirit has taken the Word of God, Jesus, and throughout the ages long before there was a Bible made Jesus true and real when there were no scriptures when there was no Bible in places where there's still no Bible it's never been read Jesus makes himself alive through the presence of the Holy Spirit so be careful about what I did say and didn't say I didn't say the Bible's not inspired and I didn't say that God doesn't use it supernaturally. He absolutely does And James is a testimony of that in his own life as well as you know people where the Bible has made that kind of difference. I just don't think we should take the Bible and replace Jesus with it, which we have tended to do with our doctrine. Do we have another? Was there a question here? Anybody else? Let's see if I have All right, so I I do have a a new comment from Ralph. And for those of you that don't know, we have a regular church member uh, in Switzerland who joins us via the live stream and comments regularly. This is where many people are in their maturity. It helps them live a life that they can accept themselves at least a bit. It makes me sad that people are captured there, but God loves them and saved them how can we believe if not by hearing and today by reading we first have to hear or read the gospel before we can believe right and for people who have never had a Bible to read how do they hear the Holy Spirit or the preaching of the word or they they get a a device and they tune in over the internet and God takes Jesus, the Word of God, and with Scripture makes Jesus alive and real to people. Great comments. Jack and Kathy have commented, yes, absolutely, Ralph. Jack and Kathy also have commented, amen to James. (laughs) Linda says, yes, amen, James. (laughs) Somebody you might know. (laughs)
4: So I think like when Matt was talking a while ago about the woman he was speaking with, I think one of our problems with all of this, and we were raised this way because the whole world was raised with, you've got to be right. And that really goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where there was, we had a choice. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or we ate of the tree of life. And as we all know, we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which set the world on this path of right and wrong, good and evil, right and wrong, good and evil, right and wrong, good and evil. And we are driven by, well, I have to be right. And now some people more than others, perfectionists, for instance, more than others feel like I've got to be right. But all of us, you know, we want to prove we're right this woman and i think that's why you people get a, even even believers get angry about it if somebody doesn't agree with them because they really what they really want is for the other person to know the truth and be healthy and whole and saved and all those things and so that becomes this uh, crusade and so then it becomes arrogant and it But the reality is, to me, is that we should have eaten of the tree of life. I think everybody probably would say, yeah, we should have. But what would that mean? If we had eaten of the tree of life, we wouldn't be living by right and wrong. That's hard to grasp because it's all we know. We would have been living by life. Anything that was life-giving. We wouldn't be going around saying this is right and this is wrong. We'd be living by Jesus, who is the life giver, who is the tree of life, we'd be following him. And and so, you know, here we are today wanting to follow Jesus, but we equate that to being right, as opposed to leaving room for each individual to follow Jesus. As I think Ralph might have said something about, I've lost, Ralph, I lost my, uh, feed here on the chat because of my uh, device isn't picking it up. So I'm not, can't reread what you said. <clears throat> but anyway, I just think this whole thing of I've got to be right. What it does is it leads us to arrogance and maybe anger or other things. And that's not the point. The point isn't to be right. The point is to be love, not right, but love, not right, but life giving
3: but don't forget that potential and help kill your soul
0: <laughs> are there any other questions or comments